Oh, you think there'll be new new phones in September? I guess so, eh? I would bet a serious amount of money on that. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Like, assuming it's announced at September, like, you know, they might have a delay of some sort, like, whoops, you know, we had trouble getting parts, and it actually arrives in October or something. Well, it's funny that there's been, been like, not, I mean, not a ton of rumors other than that square camera thing, or, you know, I haven't heard much about it, really. Have you guys heard anything? A little bit slow. A little bit slow. Yeah. But I think there's there's absolutely zero chance that there won't be something, because that would signal to Wall Street, whether it's true or not, Wall Street would take it as the iPhone is over, it's done, and Apple stock would collapse. And they can't. Really? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's been oh, a new wow. iPhone every year, right? And if they don't have yeah, one, yeah. that means yeah. they're, you know, to Wall Street, that would mean they're giving up. Right, right. It, it right. just, it well, I mean, yeah. No, I know. I mean, well, yeah, yeah especially when all the other companies are doing the same thing. Anyway, let's let's yeah. dig into the show. So that was the show. Um, yeah, <laughs> show's over. Okay. Everything. Well, uh, so Jaime, if people want to find you on the internet uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the power of editing, this can all be however order we want. <laughs> I didn't say it was the whole show. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. So, hey, everyone, welcome to episode 261 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Timitra, and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And I'm also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty. So, we have a couple of fact check things uh, to go through here. Um, the first one was we were talking last week about accessibility, and I mentioned that there was a ramp and I, that we had that I see at stores here in Toronto, and I, I, I looked on the map that they've got here on the site. I did find it. It's actually called StopGap.ca, and uh, they have like a map showing where all the where they've deployed all these sort of temporary, um, they're basically like wooden wedges that are painted, and you know they're light enough that you can pick them up and pull them into the store when you close for the night. And you know they, some of them are angled or whatever, but it, it allows you know that allows you to make your your stoop accessible, like if it's just like one step up, for instance. Right, and I noticed there's some in De- in Denver as well. I, I vaguely remember seeing some in Denver, but uh, yeah, just interesting to see that it's, it's uh, made it into the United States as well. So kind of interesting concept. Uh, the other fact so check they had was a company, or is it a? Oh, it's a charity. Okay. Yeah, it's and it's you know it's sort of a it's it's a nice thing you know like yeah. as we were talking about last week about accessible. Like you said in the states, it's required, right? But in Canada, it's it's suggested. Well, it's it's required for public buildings like yeah, okay, libraries right, yeah. or for government buildings and things like that. It's not necessarily required for stores and private, private, right, right, private businesses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, this is a quite little. This is a little little business that's been going for I, I don't know. I'd say like ten years at least. So yeah, it's interesting. If you look at the time. map, if you scroll down a little bit, look at the map. There's yeah. red dots all over Toronto, and the only one in the U.S. seems to be down in Dallas. There's just one. Was it Dallas? I thought it was Denver. I just saw a D. According to this oh, map, yeah, Dallas. Yeah. yeah, Dallas. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A lot of them in Toronto, right? So mm-hmm. there's some down east as well, as we like to say, even though it's up. That's um, Scotia-ish. That's down east. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know why they say down. Probably because you drive up to Riviera de Loup and then you drive drive down the highway to south on the highway to the. To the rest. Or is it just that people in Toronto look down on the rest of Canada? Is that what you're implying? No, no. Ah, okay. They say down. Like the people from there say down east hmm, okay. when they come here. Right? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe they consider going again. It could be that Upper Canada thing. Like you know, Upper Canada, Lower Canada was closer to Montreal. Upper Canada is where I am. Is is in Toronto, and it would be up the St. Lawrence River. So. I don't know. We can maybe we can look it up for next week. More follow up. Yay! Yeah, it is upstream, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so around 22 minutes into the show, Jaime was talking about CPA and sort of not sure what what title was. So I looked it up. It's that certified public accountant. So that stands for. And I think it's the same in Canada and the U.S. And we were 
also talking about um, at the in the after show we were talking about uh, Canadian musicians and and their their rankings and stuff like that. And I mentioned Nickelback as a possible choice, not that a personal choice, just the one that that people might choose. And it turns out that they even rank they rank as the second best selling foreign act in the United States, right behind the Beatles. Since in the 2000s. In the 2000s. In the 2000s, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, well, the yeah, 11th, exactly. 11th best-selling From 2000 to 2009, or all of the 21st well, century? I'm not sure what that means. It's funny, you know, I was talking in my talk yesterday about how semantic, you know, developers can be about things, you know, surprisingly. Yeah, I don't know. Does it mean the 2000s, or does it mean this millennia? I guess they should have, you know, qualified that. that, that, that right. I think this was from a Wikipedia page where I found that. Anyway, no, it's from the observer.com, so we'll have to... So what did that link in the show that article came out in 2002, let's say, that then there was not that much time to, to be the best-selling act. Well, if you look at the uh, date stamp on the on the link there, it's 2016, January 2016. It's fairly fresh. You know, yeah. it's, it's only you know three years out of date, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. So I'm impressed by Nickelback being the second best-selling uh, foreign act in the United States in the 2000s. Yeah. Um, however, I'm even more impressed that the Beatles are number one. Um, to this day, yeah. And, and and uh, just because it gets uh, spicier and saucier when we have controversy on this podcast, there's a big reason why I've said uh, when it comes to this sort of thing, the Beatles just absolutely destroy the Rolling Stones. And not right. in a music yeah. choice sort of way. That, that's not what I'm arguing, but just from a, this one band continues to, you know, tour. And this other band, half of the members have died and they have not been a band for decades. And they still are ranking up here. That is, that is impressive. Yeah, and obviously amazing. I'm pretty biased because I prefer the Beatles over the stones but i do like the stones so send your emails to tim please yeah. my favorite yes, quote I is for the beatles too but, I, but i'm actually surprised that led zeppelin isn't higher than both of them these days why would you associate me with the stones Jaime? no i just want people to associate their angry emails with your email address oh send your angry emails to jaime.lopez yeah, <laughs> I, I could be wrong but somehow i think our our listener base is not going to get too incensed over putting the beatles over the stones they're probably already turned into another podcast by now yeah exactly yeah but my favorite quote in this one is is from dave grohl of the foo fighters who says if you play a nickelback song backwards you'll hear messages from the devil even worse than that if you play it forward you'll hear nickelback (laughs) (laughs) so there you go anyway yeah it it surprises us that that nickelback is as popular as they as they are too so it probably surprises nickelback too all the way to the bank but now who's worse nickelback or coldplay uh no coldplay's i think coldplay Place pretty popular. I don't think people are dissing but them. Are they dissing yeah, them in the states? They're another one of those bands that people hate. Really, Aren't hate they? to love and love to hate. So no, they're just kind of hate. <laughs> really? Uh, huh. yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know how this works. I know that like Dave Matthews Band was a thing, and then it seems like there's some backlash against them too. So Did, wait, a backlash Dave against Matthews, Dave really? Matthews Band? I never heard of that one. Yeah, to a lesser extent like, than like Nickelback and um, Coldplay, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Music's not really my thing, so I can't really comment too deeply on the hows and whys of that. So. Maybe, maybe sure. people can hit us up on the, with this after show hashtag AskMTJC stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So do we have any AskMTJC speaking of which, Jaime? Good segue. We do. Um, it, it seems, oh, they're not all, re- well, they're, they're related.
related in ways. So the first one is from a friend of the show, former guest host and Apple enthusiast, uh, Greg Heo, who says, I couldn't believe my ears. There. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't believe my ears when uh, at Tim Mitra said a cow dog, dog yeah. cow. Yeah. And yeah. He, he emphasizes. Yes. And I, I, re- I did reply to him in that tweet. I don't know if you saw that there, but uh, yeah, I just, I said, get over it. But you know, with a it's little like, uh, live and let die. Uh, potato, potato. And, and it's funny because I, when I went to my, put my label together for the, we had emoji icons at the conference yesterday. And we got to like put our sort of sl- uh, slogan into what we were all about on, on a line. And then I, I actually went to put, I went to put cow dog, but I ended up putting dog cow, the two emotion, two emoticons on there. So anyway, I was trying to get Greg's attention, but it didn't work. Yeah. It's, it's a sad state of affairs because as you know, I always transpose letters left is right, up is down, you know, thousands and millions get, you know, substitute all the time. It's like just, it's, like one of my quirks. it's a quirk of my brain. I really don't care about it. So anyway, I'll figure what else you got here, homie? Uh, a couple that are related to uh, Swift TO, it looks like. One from uh, Jeff, uh, at the Jolt Guy. Met yes. Tim Mitra from uh, hashtag AskMTJC. So Swift TO is off to a good start. All right. Yeah. Jeff is uh, one of our, he's one of the first people that show up with a, with a t-shirt. He bumped into to Aaron once in um, in Whitby. He goes out to Whitby to get his car service. I was speaking to him after. His name is Jeff Marlowe, I believe. Yes, Jeff Marlowe. Um, yeah. And he's been a long, he's like, listened to us right from the, almost from the, the in the beginning and all the way up to like the last episode so he earned himself a pin at the show at the conference yesterday so tim this picture would suggest that you gave a talk on swift ui uh no well yeah i did actually talk a bit about swift ui as well it was part of my talk oh, okay. but that no that was it's sort of what you're into that's what the uh, they didn't really give clear instructions as what that second line was supposed to be about but i i started off by putting the dog cow in there and then i thought oh maybe i should put something else in there but mm. the dog cow was and the picture was taken and published specifically for greg hero's purpose you know mm-hmm. attention but he hasn't he hasn't either noticed or commented or whatever i think i got a like out of him on that one anyway what else we got for i put a couple more things in the in the follow-up section there uh, ask mtgc i mean i mean yeah i see one from uh quinton price awesome conference and fantastic talks yesterday at swift to yeah uh great to meet mtjc podcast owned him mitra yeah so quinton actually he was he said to me hey you guys even called him out on a show he asked us um what was the question he asked us it was about uh twitter dropping support for um, was it Xcode 10 or something like that recently? He, he was, oh, they, they, they dropped iOS 9, I think. Yeah. I think we, that sounds familiar. We did talk about something like that. And it was the, like three, four weeks ago. Yeah, he was he yeah. was surprised and delighted to hear his name called out. So well, there you go, Quentin Price. You got called out again. Yay. Nice. Everything's, follow, everything's follow up on more than just Coast. Maybe you should read this last one about because uh, it's your own actual tweet. Oh, is my, uh, well, no, actually, I was trying to put in, uh, oh, sorry, yeah. So Khan, uh, Khan Ezran, um, as well, he uh, he won a book from me, and uh, he's a fan of the show as well. So uh, I just thought it would be interesting to, to I thought this was tweet, his tweet, to be honest with you. But yeah, it's fine. And Calvin Lau, who, so I, I knew I was bringing the algorithm book with me to the to the conference, and I knew Calvin's moved to Toronto a little while ago. He's one of the, uh, Calvin, he's one of the um, uh, authors of the book. So I, I figured if, if I got, if I was about to hand the book, I would flag Kelvin and come up, have him come over and sign the book for him. So he, he signed the book for, uh, for Khan, and uh, I was happy to meet uh, Tiana Henry Lewis, who doesn't have a Twitter account, but she uh, she earned herself. She said she was looking to get into iOS development, and so I said, hey, have I got the book for you? And I handed her a Swift Apprentice book. So. She doesn't have a Twitter account. I like her already. 
<laughs> You're hired. Just down, down to the San Jose. All right. Yeah. I think she said she's a, 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 a production coordinator kind of person, maybe a product owner or something like that. Anyway, yeah, she's looking to get into into what we do. So that, I thought that would give her a head start. Anyway, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of comments for the podcast. Um, of course, I did mention it during my talk. But yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people said that they listened to the show and so on and so forth. And we have some some long term long time fans on in our Taco user group anyway. And uh, there you go. It was good. To, well, well, we we are well received, right? But as I mentioned in our Slack privately yesterday, I think there were at least four uh, of the talks, including myself, for, uh, that mentioned that they they are the hosts of podcasts as well. So it seems to be a popular thing, as we predicted it would be at some point in the future, right? And here we are. It's the future. All right. So moving on to our follow up, I've I asked. Uh, I was thinking about some things in Canadian. So a little bit of backstory here. So Paul uh, Hudson did a talk, and he was talking about how he'd spent you know the weekend in in Toronto and tried to get himself you know um, on his way to getting his Canadian passport. He went and got himself the Tim Hortons rewards card, and he was sporting a Raptors you know t- a world champion um, sports cap, as he called it, baseball style cap, and uh, among other things. And apparently he was on Twitter and he and he you know said some disparaging things about the fact that we haven't had very many Stanley Cups in the last little while. But uh, to which he posted a big giant slide that said "Sorry," which almost you know that's almost like our national anthem up here, right? Sorry. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So I I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks about okay, Jaime's done the Timbit thing. You know, you've come up here and what else have you tried in Canada? You tried poutine, right? Didn't you? Tim poutine, Tim Hortons coffee. Yeah, yeah. And I just I wondered, have you ever tried a Caesar? And of course, you know this. You know, I posted, I posted, I made the mistake of posting an article on the on the show notes because just before the show and sort of the two the two of these guys, Mark and Jaime, both posted back to me saying that's just a Bloody Mary, which is true. It is just a Bloody Mary, but made with Clamato juice instead of tomato juice, I believe, right? So same recipe, but yeah, and they just celebrated their 50th anniversary. It's a lot of 50th anniversaries this year, you know, like Led Zeppelin had a 50th anniversary, the Moon Landing had a 50th anniversary, the Caesar has had a 50th anniversary. There's another one I'm trying to think, think of that I can't remember. I'm sure there's a, a number of them. Anyway, so have you've never tried a, a, a Caesar? Sometimes, sometimes they call it a Bloody Caesar as well. So have you tried one, honey? No. I don't know how to answer that because I have had a Bloody Mary. Yeah. <laughs> have, I posted in our show notes the allrecipes.com recipes and there are very slight differences if we even call them that so the only difference is clamato juice which is basically tomato and clam juice and i mean the one for bloody mary says three quarter cup spicy tomato vegetable juice cocktail for example v8 which is a basically a competitor right i mean it's v8 doesn't have clam in it right I, I guess not plain V8, no, but there's like 20, but it's like Heinz yeah, ketchup, sure there's, there's like 20 varieties. flavor of V8, uh, I'm sure there is. So <laughs> but you, uh, so I would think that you wouldn't, I wouldn't make uh, uh, a, a sort of Bloody Mary with, with V8, I would make it with tomato juice. Right, yes. Yeah, so yeah. This, this recipe is, <clears throat> fails. So, uh, slight amount difference in uh, the Worcestershire sauce, one dash versus two. Worcestershire, yes. Worcestershire. Nobody knows the how to Shire of Worcestershire. <laughs> Apparently it's Worcester sauce. Worcester. Worcester. No. Worcester. Worcester. I don't. I don't know the correct British spelling, but the city in Massachusetts, which is spelled W-O-R-C-E-S-T-E-R, is. All right, give which your best guess. How, how you pronounce that? No idea. Guess. I, I want to hear it. <laughs> Both of you. Guys. Worcester, Worcester, probably, given the the um, the accent in the region. I have to look at the word. Hang on. I, well, so I, like I said, I've I've only ever heard the British pronunciation, which is Wor- 
Worcestershire. Mm-hmm. Worcestershire. Yeah. But I was, you know, it's one of those, you know, words like ellipsis. It's hard to learn how to say it. So I, I would pronounce it Worcester. Worcester. No, Worcester. 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 Like, Worcester. I mean, but would it be Worcestershire or? Yeah, Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm sure there's a YouTube video which we'll put into the follow up on how to pronounce Worcestershire. It's just like pronouncing Wacom. Is it Wacom? 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 You know. Some, some people in Massachusetts would go as far as calling it Worcester. Worcester sauce? Worcester. Yeah, but is it Worcestershire? No, no, I'm talking about the city. I know, but how do Worcester. you pronounce this, this particular sauce then? I would I would pronounce it Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Worcestershire, okay. All right. Wiss. All right. So it's W. It's like a, a little bit of hobbit juice in it. W-H-I-S. All right. Wiss. Mo- moving on. So <laughs> to put a bow in it, I, I have sort of had one, but I guess now I need to make a point of asking for a uh, Canadian Caesar the next time and just watch the... Watch the bartender give me a, the poop You'll eye. probably get a salad if you order that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we pretty much do. There's a big chunk of celery in it. And, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. People, people, I, I've, I've made them for people in the past, but uh, yeah, I've never, I used to be a bartender back in the day, but um, yeah, I don't think I, I think I may have had one once. I, I, I wouldn't, it's like sort of a thing you put pepper in it. And you're right. It's like having salad and, and, and vodka at the same time almost, right? So anyway. Uh, so would, a, would a Canadian Caesar salad have like in Instead of the dressing, have like maple syrup or something. No, <laughs> it's the same as your. Well, so let's let's talk about that then for a second. So it's basically it's basically Carol would know better than me, but it's like lettuce, uh, romaine lettuce, lettuce. That's and the it, key. Rom- That's yeah, the key romaine the lettuce, so and romaine lettuce, romaine lettuce, and then some sort of like um, mayonnaise kind of sauce. I, forget, I don't know what the sauce is, but yeah. um, some people put anchovies in it yeah. and yeah. Uh, bacon. Sometimes people put bacon in it, bacon bits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's pretty much it. Salt and pepper. I don't know. Croutons. How would you make it? Usually. Yeah, croutons. Yeah. Parma- you know, Parmesan cheese. Yeah, par- that's right. Yep, yep. But what's the what's the, the actual um, salad dressing made out of? Uh, that's the secret Caesar sauce. Oh, the secret Caesar, Caesar sauce. Right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right, let's move on. Now that everybody's like starving and hungry and whatever. Um, so the first follow up I have here is it has to do with you know repair. We talked about repairing devices before, and this is posted by the iFixit folks who are part of the uh, Right to Repair group. Um, they have noted that uh, Apple is starting to change um, their policy around battery replacement, and uh, you, if you change the battery and you have to take it to Apple for service to get, I guess, some sort of bit reset on the logic board to say the battery has been replaced. Um, so in other words, you know, you really only want to take them to an Apple genius or an Apple authorized service center service provider to authenticate the battery is, is the correct battery for your phone and such, right? So yeah, and this has been reported a few places. Is it for the iPhone XS? Um, yeah, well, I, they found that they were able to replicate this this situation in the iPhone. And there's, of course, a link in the show notes here showing that the uh, battery, even though it was replaced with an official Apple battery or Apple approved battery, it's still reported as being not correct even though it was correct. So obviously Apple has to do something to the software. So that's kind of an annoying. Yeah, this people. is kind of a sad thing. There's yeah. no comment from Apple, I guess, on why they're doing it. it right. It, if you, you know, the, the, the optimistic way of looking at it is that Apple, you know, knows that there are things that can go wrong if somebody doesn't install it correctly and is protecting us from that. But it's sort of hard to see what 
what could go wrong from just replacing a battery, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe it's a if it's a bad battery, that's one thing. But if it, if you're using the the official battery part, yeah, sorry, the the official Apple part, sort of hard to see how someone could screw that up reinstalling it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Well, I, like you said before, you can get Japanese or Chinese batteries or you know, un batteries made of sure. ill ill repute. Yeah, you know, if it's some it. cheap knockoff battery, then yeah, all bets are off. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it comes down to the whole. Maybe they're they're sensitive about the fact that you know there have been a number of devices, not Apple related devices, but other other batteries have caught fire in the past, and Apple doesn't want to be associated or wants to have control over that kind of experience, right? Yeah, yeah. And especially in light of the last uh, the recall, which we'll get to again, the, the uh, PowerBook recall, right? Well, so the the real question then is how much will Apple charge you to replace that battery? Yeah, you know, to get yeah. to get that uh, special. Uh, well, I've been in the stores there. when I've been in the stores when people are getting their batteries replaced, and it's it's not inexpensive. It's like you know, right. in, in Canadian dollars, I've seen people charge like one hundred and ninety eight dollars kind of thing to get a battery replaced. You know, which is not yeah. cheap. So right? if the battery so. itself costs twenty five or thirty bucks, yeah, maybe it costs a little more. That's mm-hmm. a lot of labor to replace a battery. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jaime, so what have you got next for us? This one's follow-up to whichever episode it was where I mentioned GitHub Actions, which would let you do things like send out uh, Slack messages or maybe file a, a ticket or something, you know, just whatever your workflow happens to be related to software development on uh, the GitHub platform. Apparently now it supports the thing that everybody sort of wanted it to do, which was uh, CI, uh, continuous integration and continuous uh, deployment, continuous delivery stuff, which is now free for public repositories. And you can sign up for the VEDA, which um, will come out uh, relatively soon, I think. I'm not sure exactly when, but GitHub Actions will be generally available on November 13th and then they show an example here of like a build that will run uh, or sorry a um, a job that can run sort of all the different flavors of your application or your website or you know your api sure using yeah. like a like a do yaml they, style so they say it's, it's free layout. for public repos do they say how much it costs for private repos uh for private repos pay as you go pricing let me see on the sign up page does it show there pricing 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 repair plans and where does it go from when when it's done that does it like is it tie, like if you tie it back into your build servers is it that's how it's supposed to work or oh I, sorry to, to answer mark's question i don't know the pricing because it looks like i would actually have to go sign up through the oh, no, actually, to see that far. i found it in under uh pricing feature comparison so there's a free tier oh, yeah. which is free there is a pro tier which is seven bucks per month which gives you let's see unlimited public and private repos and uh you can looks like you can, you can do pretty much everything uh and then there's a team tier for nine bucks a month per user per month so i, I want how many people pretend to all be one person <laughs> even if they're a team if they're a small team yeah hmm. um then there's Tim, i haven't oh sorry there's also an enterprise level which does contact for pricing of course yeah, yeah. right <laughs> How much money do you have? Good. That's what it yeah, costs. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tim, I have not used this, so I don't know where the artifacts themselves go. Um, I'm guessing you're thinking of something like Jenkins, where it's like, oh, yeah, this is, yeah. you know, under this particular folder um, for your artifacts. I, I don't know the answer to that, but just looking at their example workflows that they show, the little screenshots for, like, building um, a Node.js project or a Python package or a Ruby project, I'm going to assume it, it must be available somewhere, even if it's, 
um, like part of your, uh, your GitHub, um, repo, I would suppose, but I don't know, having not used this myself, hmm. I suppose one of those action could be, you know, throw this over to this Dropbox folder or something. I'm not sure what sort of permissions you can give these jobs. Right. Right. Well, Kyle, uh, Kyle Newsom did a talk on BitRise. They weren't there like a quick little lightning talk on, on how they work. And it was a similar idea where you, you store your stuff on, on their service and they would automatically hook back into your, uh, thing. And he mentioned, he mentioned in passing, uh, GitHub, uh, in that sense. So I think, um, that may be, may be part of what, uh, the idea is like, it has, it says web hooks here on the, on the page that I found. So maybe it hooks back to your, uh, to your systems through OAuth or something like that. Cool. All right. Um, where am we now? So yeah. I mean, you got the bug bone to one. Yeah, this one is kind of spread throughout our notes because there are different angles to this. But at the very least, the thing that I will talk about here is the fact that the bug bounty program mm -hmm. from Apple has been extended in, in a couple different ways. One is that it has been extended in terms of dollar amount from the $200,000 US maximum to now a million dollar maximum payout for vulnerabilities. Wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other part is that it's not just iOS anymore. Uh, apparently, this covers iCloud, tvOS, watchOS, and uh, macOS, Mac too, yeah. I think. Yes, yes, there we go. So it's got Apple on the name. It, it seems like it's covered. So this must be in response to the sort of, um, what do you call it? The Face ID uh, hack? Well, not so much that, but the the, the you know the people who hold, who extort out money, or they, they offer bigger rewards than Apple does mm. to, to people to not reveal things, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, sort of as a bit of follow-up to when we've probably talked about this before. It, it, before, it seemed like weird penny-pinching to not pay out the standard market price for these sorts of things is now you sort of encourage people like, well, I'll sell it to this, you know, this criminal organization that could afford it. Um, that's not going to deter, you know, nation state actors who have, you know, something other than profitability on their minds when they try to acquire these sorts of vulnerabilities. But at the very least, you've reduced the, you know, problem here by making it so like, you know, if you're a researcher, it's kind of really worth your time and money to give this vulnerability to Apple rather than selling it off to the highest bidder somewhere else. They've made it less likely for a highest bidder to be higher. It does say in the article that, um, as Mark was saying, the f back in the FaceTime hack period, which is back in February, that, that some security researchers were reluctant to give Apple uh, the details for, I guess, for other profitable reasons. But that's, I guess, more obviously why Apple's raised the bounty on this, right? But then well, I was talking more about the Face ID hack that just came out last Oh, week. another one? Yeah, yeah. At, at, oh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At one of the conferences. But it's kind of an obscure one that that uh, uh, it would be pretty hard to do in practice but there but some mm -hmm. some people figured out a way to hack face ID by uh, if you have a, a sleeping person and you put glasses oh, yeah. on them uh, and then you use their phone and enter their face or use their phone to try to to try to unlock their phone by holding up to their face it will actually unlock it which is not supposed to if the person is sleeping but yeah. but it will so I thought that I read that article too and it was something about you had to put a pair of glasses on them that had like a square or, yeah prop. some kind of tape or a something little like dot that. in the middle right. or something like that right. yeah to right. make it sort of give the impression of an eyeball like like the cartoon version of like you know the the student is falling asleep in class so they put on the glasses with the, the really obviously fake cartoon eyeball right. drawn onto it to pretend like oh yes i'm totally paying attention that's what i visualized right, in right. my head but it but you're right it is in practice sort of difficult it's like okay so i need physical access to the phone i need physical access to their sleeping body and they need to be a deep enough sleeper to or i, I guess i've 
you know, inoculated them with something to put these glasses on their face. And then face ID will work more or less as it normally does. But apparently there's some sort of exception where, oh, if you've got glasses, go into like 2D mode for the eyes without doing, I guess, further depth checking because they probably have issues doing it through contact or sorry, glasses for mm-hmm. some reason. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's sort of the workaround to get to get past other things like the um, is it like attention mode or something where you have to be looking yeah, yeah. directly at the the phone and, and other checks. Yeah, so I was talking about and and I remember I'm just looking up here on my phone because when I heard about this the the title of the article was very clickbaity, um, making it imply that that base ID had been hacked, not that it had all these sort of extenuating circumstances. You know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Oh, here it is. It says uh, researchers demonstrate base ID bypass with glasses and tape. Was the was the article not so much not n- nothing about the sleeping guy and the fact you have access to his phone and it's not it sort of implies you could open any phone with this but no not necessarily right yeah you just get get some duct tape and some glasses and put it on and hack into any phone yeah. it's, it's i mean it's still something that would need to be taken care of and fixed but you're right it's uh it's definitely less salacious than than the article title would make it seem yeah that was in the nine to five article yeah cool yeah well so was something so i guess the next story is the is the follow-up on uh, and this is to to satisfy greg and his his uh defense of the cow dog or the dog cow if you like uh and this is from a friend of the show a friend of ours uh tom harrington he's posted a link back to 512 pixels uh article on the dog cow and it's a video uh made up i think we've talked about this on the show before this particular article but yeah a video talking about the history of the of the dog cow um some interesting tidbits about it and about it's like it's life how it began as as part of a font called uh cairo by um uh, susan care and how it kind of grew into uh, other things and it ended up on the laser writer printer uh, setup page setup so you could see the orientation of your page and it even made it into some QuickTime stuff uh, like when they were demonstrating some of the uh, 3d effects that you could do in early QuickTime and early QuickTime VR and that kind of stuff um, and of course it's got a, it's got a picture of James Thompson standing beside the uh, dog cow uh, in the icon garden which is no longer there but uh, uh, that used to be in in on the, in the grassy knoll inside of uh, uh, infinity loop right? I want to try this move brow that they're talking about in there move brow move brow beer oh yes yes yeah yeah yeah. have you ever had it uh, no but is it i thought it was only for a special event like uh i don't know first time i've heard of it is in this article no, no, wwdc 1996 so it's it's probably no longer drinkable if you can find a bottle well I mean, it, it just says at wwdc 1996 apple featured beer brewed in california and one of yeah. the examples was dubbed move brow right it doesn't necessarily say that it was only made for wwc 96 right right so that's your mission for the rest of the week marcus go find like a bottle or a can of move brow i will attempt to do just that hmm. and there's even certificates of achievement that you could get and claris today where does claris live now claris lives in uh okay it, in the Swiss, it looks Swiss like it was it looks like it was a one-time thing for the 1996 wdc that's too bad yeah it, and claris of course does live on in apple swift documentation there is an example of using um emotic area emoticons i guess the little icons that uh you can use them in swift now they're supported as a fully functioning you can have a variable name with the dog and the cow icons and uh, that would equal dog cow you can use that as a variable name and um also it's also in the classic mac uh iMessage sticker pack that you can get and of course the author of this this piece has a dog cow tattoo on his i'm going to say right ankle so yeah and there's a whole uh, we'll have a link in the show notes here oh it also lives on in a couple of uh, tech notes there was a tech note uh, number 31 which is written specifically about the dog cow but he appears the dog cow claris appears and he i guess it's a he appears in a number of apple tech notes as 
well. So there you go. Cool stuff. Hope Greg's happy. <laughs> All right, what do you got next, Harvey? This one is follow-up to us mentioning this at, uh, I want to say it was like a WWDC session, or maybe it was even last year's keynote for the Apple uh, the Apple iPhone event. But in this case, uh, they're expanding the number of universities that can have their students use the um, student ID inside of their Apple wallet. Oh, cool, and, yeah. And use it to buy food and badge into their dorms and other stuff. So really kind of using it as like a like a payment card or at least an access card, which is uh, pretty, as I mentioned on the show when I had gone to Japan, it was really cool to have the Suica card, transit card available in your wallet and be able to pay for transit and, you know, pay for food at restaurants or vending machines. And I can imagine if I was a student and on campus and you, you want to go, you know, check into the library or, you know, get food at the commissary or something. That seems like it'd be pretty neat, not have to worry about pulling out your wallet for anything. Mm-hmm. It's cool at 12, 12 universities apparently are covering uh, the use of this technology, which is cool. Speaking, I thought, I was speaking of, of the wallet app, has anyone gotten an Apple Card yet? No, no, I never signed up for the you know let me know on this waiting list thing, and apparently I should have done that because I'm seeing all sorts of people on the Twitterverse who are like, oh, I got invited finally. Yeah, I, I haven't hmm. like, been invited yet. I didn't sign up either. Yeah, strangely, hmm. I haven't been invited either. Oh, well, stop, gonna... stop whining, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even apply. You've had plenty of time to move down to the the U.S. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yes. There's only, there's only like several reasons why I wouldn't. Anyway, um, like having a job would be one. So, uh, where are we here? Uh, I've heard that. I've heard that. This one is follow up to when we talked about the 2015 MacBook Pro recall that certain ones with, um, a defective battery, you would need to get it checked out and replaced. And there was a, a website or something that Apple had. You could put in your serial number and see if you're affected. Um, it's gotten even more serious. So if you somehow didn't care about the potential damage and uh, you know threat to your life via your laptop, if you care at all about air travel, at least within the confines uh, in and out of the United States, uh, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, has banned the recalled MacBook Pros from all flights, just like mm-hmm. any other mm-hmm. bad battery, like when they had banned the um, so the Galaxy Note 7. Was that the one from Samsung that was yes, yes. blown yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah, I was on a call or flight once where they actually were trying to ban iPhone sevens because they just they just saw phone seven and yeah we kind of explained to them that there wasn't it wasn't the same thing but um yeah I, and it was we I think we called it we sort of said you know it'll only be a matter of time before they'll they'll start banning this this particular Mac from flying right so, so what are they doing are they, actually, are they actually checking serial numbers when you go through security who knows right how are they supposed to know yeah it says uh but since we found it it's not the case FFA didn't explicitly ban the recalled MacBook Pro or its battery. Oh, this this update was three hours ago, a little bit uh-huh. less than three hours ago. I didn't see this one. Yeah. Not, FAA is not explicitly banned as devices. They are banned, but only because all recalled batteries are banned. Oh, okay, fact okay. that the FAA reminded airlines about in July. All right. All right. Oh, so you still can't fly with an iPhone or Samsung 7 Note, Note 7 says here as well. Yeah. Okay. So, well, uh-huh. it's, t- <laughs> it's still a nice follow-up reminder that you please get your bat- you know, your laptop battery replaced. Don't yeah. fly with it. Yeah. Now, I can tell you from personal experience that I've taken two of them in from our company and um, the Apple Store had them replaced. It took roughly five days for them, or I guess seven days for them to turn it around and get it back out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sort of Friday to the next Saturday was when it was available. And I mean, it's and looking at the invoice, it's like a three, you know four hundred dollar repair. But you get back a essentially the top case is brand new. It's brand new keyboard, brand new trackpad, you know, brand new shiny top case, right? And I would assume speakers and stuff. But uh, and do they wipe yeah, the and, wipe the computer completely? Wipe the hard drive? No, 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 no. They don't. They don't touch the. the 
because that's on the logic board. Or in, in this case, I think it's on a it's on a memory stick, right? So um, oh. for a security conscious company like yours, doesn't that cause problems if you bring in a? It does. Yeah, and our our computers our computers don't go out of the building with data on them. Like if they're going to go in for service or whatever, we wipe them mm-hmm. before we take them in. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Good. It's a good a good valid point to bring up, Mark, because I'm sure other people don't really think about it too much. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you have a policy in your company where your data is not supposed to leave the the organization, then uh, yeah, and, and it's obviously obviously not supposed to do that. So yeah, definitely. I've always, I always tell people to wipe their computers if they're going to take them in. So unfortunately, it's a pain in the butt because then you have to re-enroll when you get back and so on and so forth. But yeah, our data policy. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move on to the main the main event. What have we got in the main event there, honey? More uh, more security stuff. So in addition to the other things we talked about with the bounty program, apparently if you are uh, a special enough bug bounty person, mm-hmm. you can get a special new iPhone that's specifically for security researchers that apparently comes with um, some extra debugging capabilities that normal iPhones would not have. Mm. Uh, designed in such a way to make it easy for, or easier for security researchers to spot bugs. Yeah, this is at the, it was at, we didn't mention it, but this was at the Black Hat conference that they have down in, I think it's in Vegas, right? Um, they do this every year. They have, you know, uh, all the, the hackers from around the world get together and go and uh, help out companies and, and do demos of what they can do. And that's where, that's what this, the uh, the thing we mentioned earlier, um, about the face, time, face ID uh, workaround, let's call it, um, was uh, revealed there as well. Black Hat Security Conference, yeah, Thursday it says here. It doesn't say where it is, though. Yeah, I posted an article here, same story, and just posted it beside yours to give us more more links to post in the show notes here for people. Interesting. So, I mean, so here's a question, though. So this is so the, what they've added is is a bunch of debugging tools, but it's not any more locked, uh, unlocked than a, than a regular phone would be, right? Regular iPhone? They, they mentioned in the article that it, it is not uh, quite as accessible as what Apple employees can do with their, yeah. uh, partic- I guess, particular phones that they get to do this sort of thing. Right, um, right. It, it, not being an expert at this, I don't know precisely what you get, but it seems like a reasonably big deal that they have, you know, added like on-device tools or opened up something that could be used to, to check stuff. I, I do kind of wonder what sort of limitations these phones might have. Like, could you go buy stuff from the App Store? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> seems like maybe not the best idea if you got this uh, this phone that's not, not exactly dodgy, but not exactly the, you know, normal production phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that Apple's stepping forward and, and helping out or at least providing access to tools for people to figure out these things, right? It helps their, it makes their product better too, right? At the end of the day. Yeah, it makes it, makes it more secure, right? If, yeah. if people are, if they're encouraging, and, and with the higher bounty that we mentioned, they're encouraging people to, uh, or incentivizing them at the very least to find these defects and report them to Apple who can then properly fix them and, and patch them in future yeah. versions of iOS as well as future devices. It's better for everyone. Right. Now, since we're still on the scary subject of cybersecurity and things like that, this is this is an article article that came out from around, I believe, from the same group of people from the Black Hat Conference, but it is a an iPhone cable that looks legit. It looks just like an iPhone, like your, your standard variety iPhone cable with your MFI chip in it and so on and so forth. Um, made for Mac and chip. Made for Mac chip. Um, is it Mac? Made for Mac? Yeah. Um, made for Mac. MFI? Anyway, so... MFI is, is it, made for iPhone, uh, iPad. Oh, made, made for iPhone? Maybe. Made okay, for gotcha. iPhone. Yeah, it was original. Made right. For, actually, it was originally made for sure. iPod, but... There's... iPod, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. The, uh, the, um, so the, the deal with this one, though, is you plug this cable into your... Somebody lends you a, a lightning cable if you ask for one. You plug it into your Mac, and of course, you plug it into your phone. You think you're just charging your phone or whatever it is you want to do, but apparently it, uh, it has a... It publishes an IP address uh, on the cable, and then... Uh, uh, a hacker can you know, nearby can can 
can get into your computer through this through this cable. That's a pretty creepy, scary one. I and mean, everybody is, everybody yeah. knows by now not to plug in just some random USB drive into your computer. But right, right. You know, but who thinks about a cable, especially one that no. looks like an Apple cable? No, and like I said, most people don't know it has the MFI chip in in the. You know, I don't know, I guess which end it's in, but you know, like when you plug a. Uh, lately, I've been plugging a lot of devices into my into my iPhone 10 S, and it, it says you know you have to unlock the device to be able to use it. Like uh, sometimes even to charge it, and uh, yeah, it, it's very picky about which cables they use on it. But um, you get that message where if you plug into a third party device, it says this device may not be compatible with your with the OS or whatever. Mm-hmm. That indicates that it's not an MFI device, right? Normally, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, so interesting, uh, interesting, and like you said, scary, scary thing, right? Does it say? Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of looking at the article. It doesn't really say where these come from. I think this guy made them. It says about how he was able to sort of painstakingly make them so you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Really? And he did it with stuff that you could just, you know, do it in his kitchen. So if I understand the attack vector here, this is lightning cable, a modified lightning cable that you attached, you know, one end to your phone, but the other Mm -hmm. end is attached to your your Mac. Right. Yes, of course. It's to get into the Mac, not to the phone, right? Right, right. Because I was a little confused when I first read that. Um, And I guess it gets to the the product that I've seen on uh, on the interwebs, probably Amazon or something. Mm -hmm. But the the column, uh, for lack of a better term, it's like a like a USB condom sort of thing that yeah. it's like you you put that if you're concerned about the you know like the electrical outlet that's out somewhere you put this thing in between your your own cable and uh, the electrical outlet and apparently it has only the parts of and i forget what this device has i can't remember which end it's on i'm assuming it's only the power lines from the usb um connector so you wouldn't have any data transmission be possible right okay. that's, that's that's the claim I, not a security researcher. I've never purchased any of these products to verify their their authenticity or or verify you know how how good they work. But that's my understanding of how that works. Yeah. But that well, that wouldn't really I think help you in this case because if you're uh, you know if you're looking to charge things up, you're better off using like a wall plug than your your Mac because it's really slow that way. Yeah. And if you're trying to connect to your um, your Mac and your iPhone for like development reasons or other things, like you're you're gonna be in a world of hurt because I'm not aware of any product that that safely deals with the data side sure sure back in the day there was a device you could plug into like you'd plug it into your wall outlet in two places in your house and it would use your your house wiring as a cheap network which is kind of scary yeah, X, sounding x1 mm-hmm. is that what it was yeah. yeah 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 and what did it do like like an ethernet kind of thing or oh no it was way lower tech than that and and you couldn't it was it wasn't really digital it would just send essentially analog pulses over that so you couldn't, oh, okay. couldn't really use it for, for uh well the one i'm thinking of uh, maybe you're maybe you're talking a different one, but the one I'm thinking of was for an early home automation solution. So you oh, could okay, you okay. could send you could turn things on or off around the house through this. Uh, so it, it was you know sort of a very primitive home networking network, not right, right? Home automation network, I guess is a better way to put it. Uh, so you could you could have like a controller that would turn on turn lights on and off from sure, from one yeah. spot and by passing a, a higher frequency signal. So so uh, electricity obviously is 60 hertz in the U.S. Uh, so yeah. Here it's AC signal. So, mm-hmm. but the but the wires have the capability of sending higher frequency signals. That right, okay. And and so when you send a higher frequency signal, it, it won't interfere with the sixty hertz signal. So it'll just kind of pass through almost invisibly uh, to your power. Oh, I see, right? Yeah. Um, right. And and so if you have the right uh, transceivers, you know, a, 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 a sender and a receiver on either end, you can send this higher frequency signal and detect it and and do things with it. Control control 
control stuff with it, control lights or, or uh, sure. turn on a fan or something like that. But, but this stuff was pretty low tech. I mean, I, this was, this was 20 years ago, at least that. Yeah. It was back in the day. Like I, yeah, I, I regularly remember reading about it, but I didn't really get much into it. Never yeah. saw it in, in operation or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. You couldn't really send data like we think of it today over this. I mean, it would, it would be such low bandwidth. It would be. Well, know, I think it, it was it, back it, in the local talk days, like I'm thinking, right. You know, cause we used to use uh, like phone net, which was using telephone cable yeah. to, to do small, low air, small network. Well, right? telephone cable, you can actually, you can actually send a pretty high bandwidth over it. I mean, remember DSL, right? That was just over phone cables. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But house wiring is, is a lot worse than that. So I, I don't know what the limitations were, but, but, you know, certainly not as good as, as a phone wire. I don't, I don't think. Sure. All right. Well, moving on. Someone out there um, is maybe of- the expert may be shouting at the screen right now, but uh, let us know if you know more details about this stuff. Right. Actually, I should do some real time follow up as we're talking. I'm looking it up. Okay. So, uh, while, uh, let's, let's talk about some app development stuff for a while. So, um, this article I saw in last week was, uh, um, it's from June, uh, an article about, um, and I've forgotten the source of it. I'll have to find out where that was. But uh, is is an article called "Should I Trademark My App Name?" And this has to do with you know the fact that uh, it is possible for you to put an app on the App Store and then have somebody come along and take part of or all of your name to try and get some affinity like blind links, you know, uh, to your app. And uh, so the article goes, and of course, not written by a lawyer. The guy is not a lawyer. We're not lawyers either, by the way, in case you're wondering. But yeah, talking about the difference between trademark and copyright. Copyright is just you know you can't you create a work of creation uh, original thought or whatever is not meant to be copied but trademarking is something slightly different and he talks about uh, the pros and cons of um, trademarking and um, and uh, you know cost what it costs you know can be anywhere from 225 to a thousand dollars to get to hire a lawyer to help you with this but um, yeah you can um, you can go through and uh, trademark your name to protect the name on the App Store or the Google Play Store um, and uh, the the idea behind it or the, the, the shameless plug for the author of course is that he has a name search uh, uh, or an app lookout um, uh, app that will or service that will search either Apple or, or Google to see if somebody's using a name similar to yours so that's cool real time follow up it's actually the X10 network mm-hmm. not X1 okay. I just posted a yeah, link I think we, we talked about that before but now that you say that right maybe yeah alright yeah this, this trademarking thing is tricky because it, it, it seems like it would really have to be you know, this is my business sort of thing. Because these fees, you know, you know, like $225 to $400 to get the trademark itself. And then the presumed cost in either, you know, retaining a lawyer or I guess filling out the cease and desist forms yourself uh, seems like a lot for, hey, this is my hobby kind of app. Like, I, I don't know that right. I would trademark my app name out of uh, like ego or anything. It would definitely have to be, I need to be able to use this for serious business. No, well, the way Apple does it is they, they send an email to the offending parties. You list off the their, the app names and they'll send out a you know a sort of hey you know you should you're using somebody else's name because because don't forget somebody came after me about device track until I proved that I had been on the app store a lot longer than they had so they were copying me in fact right 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 anyway yeah yep so there we go um do you want to should we do the picks sure it looks like there's a spoilers is a pickorama here from from you yeah but I can combine a lot of them into one um <laughs> so uh my my pick here is a short video it's about five and a half minutes called uh spicing up swift and it is uh, uh, Zev Eisenberg, a developer who apparently gave this talk somewhere, like at a meetup group or something, uh, about Swift and about some of the neat things you can do. But the the conceit of this particular 
speech here is that he does it while consuming a hot pepper. In this case, <laughs> he has a habanero pepper that is then uh, covered in sriracha, which of course is, you know, spicy itself as well. But really that sriracha is just a binding agent so that he can roll this habanero pepper in ghost pepper flakes nice. and then tries to give the, the rest of the presentation while, you know, starting to suffer under the effects of the spiciness. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's actually kind of fun watching. I mean, it's sort of like a morbid kind of fun. Right. Uh, and, and as he mentions at the very end, this is, um, something that was inspired by the, um, the hot pepper gaming channel on YouTube where people do this sort of thing. They'll, um, take a bite of a hot pepper and then eat it and then try to do a review of a video game that's come out. And it's hilarious watching people sort of suffer through this thing and, and just choke. And then as they get through everything, they're chugging down the, the milk or the yogurt to try to cool off things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the same Zev Eisenberg that gave a Bon Mo talk, at lightning talk at NS North 2016. Uh, he's been, a, been around for a bit in terms of doing different things, right? You can see his link on uh, speakerdeck.com. So I'm just on curious, how, how did you pronounce the name of the pepper? Uh, the habanero pepper. Uh, okay, I, okay. I thought you said. I don't, I don't know because it gives it. I've, I am going to be completely wrong on this, but I have seen it with the um, the inya for the right. end, so like the end with mm -hmm. the little eye, which was like, oh, well, if it's a Spanish name, it'd be habanero, but I don't actually know the proper. Yeah, so, so I learned this a little while back because I said it to someone who knew, and they looked at me like I was crazy. But it's it's apparently it's a it's an Americanism to put the in the middle. So because jalapeno for sure has it. Um, mm -hmm. The jalapeno pepper has it. You mean the jalapeno. jalapeno right, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's a Canadian pronunciation. No, it's not. We say, we say, we say jalapeno the same yeah. as you do. So, so, uh, People often say habanero, but but technically that's incorrect. It's it's actually habanero. So you say it, it's a hard end, mm. right? It's not the nya, it's n. It's habanero. Hab, well, not even not even you don't even say the h, right? It's habanero, and you and you roll the r, I guess. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I don't actually the, speak the, Spanish, so but you, you probably know better than me. But but uh, this is this is what I learned. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's why I didn't know. I I said habanero because it's like if you go order it somewhere that's it's in America at least, that's people will understand what you say. Yeah. But I have seen weird, conflicting things. I'm like, does this have an inya or not? I was like, I don't, I don't really know. And it's, yeah, yeah. I learned something today by your description of it because I didn't know the, the the truth about it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Hmm. I've, wow. I learned so, I learned about this by going to some of the more the more authentic uh, burrito and and taco places. The more authentic it is, where they, where they don't uh, serve you if you don't pronounce it right. Like, well, is it called? burrito nazi or something or they, what? You, know, you know very often some of the people there don't don't speak english so if you oh i got if you, you right, order right. It wrong they kind of they don't know if you mean jalapeno or habanero and are and are pronouncing them both incorrectly oh wow mm -hmm, that makes sense yeah Habanero sounds a lot like jalapeno in certain ways, right? I guess, the, yeah. So, so the 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 jalapeno, which is spelled J A L, right, is pronounced with the huh sound at the beginning. Ha. Huh. So the J is huh, but the like Jaime, yeah, uh -huh. right, like Jaime, right. But the habanero, which which is spelled starting with an H, the H is silent. It's kind of a confusing. Oh, it's thing. habanero. Okay, habanero. Gotcha. Yeah, habanero. Habanero and jalapeno. And yeah. jalapeno. Mm, interesting. There huh. you go. I do appreciate that he throws the Scoville units, uh -huh. Scoville units uh -huh. being the uh, the way to measure like how spicy is this thing, right? Like 
it's probably inaccurate, but in my mind, I'm like, how much capsaicin does this thing have in it? Which is what causes the mm-hmm. the bite, the spiciness. So, oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, Ghost pepper is pretty hot. So that that pepper alone is uh, 100,000 to 350,000 Scoville units. Uh, by comparison, a jalapeno would be somewhere between 2,500 and 8,000 Scovilles. And the ghost pepper, uh, granted, is in flake form, but the ghost pepper, according to Wikipedia here, says around a million Scoville units. Yeah. What? So yeah, it, it used uh, to I would be not the recommend... pepper in the world, but it's it's actually not anymore. There's even hotter ones. There's people people wow. now breed the the peppers for for spiciness and and uh, yeah, they keep breaking the records. It's pretty unbelievable. Did they heat their houses with these things? What? <laughs> you have to be careful. If you see like um, uh, I'm not sure who has the most um, spiciest one now because as Mark mentions, people are like competing. New Mexico State University and MSU for a very long time had the hottest one and whatever it was called like and they would wear goggles and you know like little face masks use gloves and then you just like it's like a japanese tea ceremony you get like a toothpick and put a little tiny bit on something and it just wrecks your body wow Um, so yeah according to wikipedia the carolina reaper is currently the hottest pepper in the world it is 2.2 million uh well the record there's some range i guess the 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 hottest one is 2.2 million Scoville units for this thing, for the Carolina Reaper. What was the first one you mentioned, Heim? The, the first thing, that, the Habanero, I believe you said was... The Scovilles for that are only 100,000 to 350,000. It's like a walk in the park, comparatively yeah. speaking, yeah. I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like spicy stuff, but I've definitely had some hot habaneros, and they're, they're no joke. I can't imagine what uh, Ghost Pepper or the Carolina Reaper would be like. Yeah, yeah. So All according right. to Wikipedia, in April 2018, a case report of quote, thunderclap headaches, unquote, in a 34-year-old man who was hospitalized a few days after consuming one Carolina Reaper pepper of unspecified size in a contest included a presumptive diagnosis of reversible cerebral vasoconstriction syndrome uh, with no reason to believe, uh, okay, it says, with no reason to believe pepper compounds had a role in the mechanism RCVS, other clinical interpretations such as a stress response from eating such a hot pepper may explain the headaches. (laughs) So these things will can put you in the hospital potentially eating one of these things. Wow. Interesting. Oh, there's a claim that, uh, the Carolina Reaper has been surpassed by the dragon's breath pepper with, with up to 2.4 million SHUs, Scoville units, but it looks like it hasn't been hundred percent confirmed. Oh, and there's also one called pepper X, not pepper 10, pepper X, uh, which is 3.18 million SHUs, but that's also unconfirmed. Alrighty then more than just covered folks. Yeah. Way, more than just code. So my first pick here is uh, it's a new book from Apple. It just came out uh, from uh, under the Anyone Can Code, uh, or every, sorry, Everyone Can Code uh, moniker. Uh, it's a book on computer science principles in with, with Swift. So it's a book, an iBook. It's free from Apple on the iBook store, and you can go get it, and it'll teach. It's it, geared towards students, but I'm sure it's good for anybody designed for high school students who are new to coding, it says here on the tin, but also to help students build a solid foundation foundation in programming and Swift with the Swift language, highlighting key computing concepts. So uh, yeah, I have I just I downloaded it last week. I haven't had a chance to go through it yet, but uh, it's uh, one of the uh, books that comes along with, you know, the, they've got the intro to app development in Swift and app development with Swift books. And then they've got some teacher guides as well. Um, but yeah, this uh, this is the, new, the latest book out from Apple and um, recommended to me by a friend of the, well, a friend of mine from uh, Eric Dreyer, who, who teaches, uh, or used to write the uh, server books for 
for, and it probably still does write the server books for uh, the Apple certification program. But um, yeah, so check it out. Apple, it's called AP. I don't know what the AP stands for. AP Computer Science Principles with Swift. And it's so, the so in the iPad US, store. what the AP is in the US in the in high schools, uh, mm-hmm. it's AP stands for Advanced Placement. There are so okay. there are standardized AP tests, Advanced Placement tests in various subjects. Like there's a math uh, calculus one, a physics one, English one, uh, and if you do well enough on these tests, uh, you can place out of college courses, and, then it, and it looks really good on your college. Uh, oh, I see. Okay, uh, cool. Applications. So when I was in high school, now granted that was you know a couple of years ago, uh, there wasn't a computer science, an AP computer science. That's so that's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. It makes complete sense that there would be now, but it's kind of interesting. I didn't know that there was. Well, a few years ago, they were talking about. I went to a talk. Um, when were we at? 2017, was that when we were at um, 360i Dev, Jaime? Um, the most recent time that we well, were? Well, no, giving our talk. It was 2017, right? That's correct. Yeah, so at that talk, they were talking about the fact that in schools, they're still using Java as the language to teach kids. So hopefully, the things are, students are opening up to the more modern languages, right? Like Swift, Kotlin, and things like that. Anywho, um, so my I have three picks here. I, I just want to say to folks, the, the floodgates are opening, combine is the thing, and and like within within days of each other, these three things appeared on my radar uh, related to Combine or Combine. Uh, the first one is a GitHub um, repo called Combine 101. From friend of the show, Scott Gardner, um, former uh, Ray Wunderlich uh, tutorial writer. Now he works, I believe he works with uh, LinkedIn. You'll see a lot of his stuff over there. Um, but yeah, he's, he's put together this Combine 101, uh, sort of talking about the, you know, the introduction for people into what Combine is, uh, what publishers are, you know, various things and some code examples here as well. Uh, so you can scroll through that and check that out. And I'm sure he'll be updating that as things change, as we know they will. Um, and th- the second piece I've got here is combined data source. This one just came out today from Marin Todorov. And uh, I believe today, yeah, he just announced it today. Um, and it's called combined data sources. And he's put together a way of uh, a, like a, 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 what do you call it, Swift Packet Manager uh, implementation where you can use combined as a data source for table views and collection views. So that's kind of cool. Um, again, I haven't really dug too much deep in, deep, too deep into it, but that's a kind of a handy little tool if you're looking to get into Combine and work with things that don't naturally support Combine uh, out of the box. And the third pick um, was is Hacking Combine. And this one is, I have a feeling, so again, this is from Scott Gardner. And um, is it the same thing? Blowing hmm. the uncharted territory in Combine. Looks like this is a more here. advanced one. Yeah, more advanced thing a little bit more detail uh the other one's more the, the 101 one obviously is a more introductory sort of sort of one this one digs a bit deeper into combined so if you're looking for some examples of how you can do it um oh and he's of course got a shameless plug for a book that he's working again for the way we're like folks on uh combined which is coming out uh, very soon if it's not out already i think it's coming soon let's click on yeah that. they're going to need a lot of updates based on what seems to be going on with all of the different betas so yeah well if i click on the store i go, I go right into my my store but yeah, can you guys click on the link and see if it's uh, available for sale yet sign in to buy but i don't uh oh, pre, pre-order now it's available for pre-order yeah, yeah and that's going to be supporting ios 13 and swift 5.1 and xcode 11 yeah so the, the, it's not available it will be available my prediction my crystal ball tells me it'll be available when ios 13 
becomes a publicly available um, thing, not not public beta, but public. And it looks if you're looking on this page, is also a Catalyst by Tutorials and Swift UI by Tutorials coming. So that's going to be your summer bundle for. Well, it's this summer bundle here for 2019, but summer is almost over, isn't it? Aren't there like weeks left of summer? I mean, it, it's like September 20th, 21st, or 22nd. Yeah, somewhere around there. So you know, they still got a month for for summer. But uh, the advanced iOS summer bundle with the, as you mentioned, Swift UI by Tutorials, Catalyst by Tutorials, and mm-hmm. combined mm-hmm. asynchronous programming by Tutorials. Like I actually pre-ordered that one many moons ago. Oh, did you? Okay. So hashtag not an ad, but uh, maybe it should be an ad. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. I have admittedly not kept up other than that, like really, really early days when we first talked about stuff out of WWDC. So um, I'm very, I'm going to be very thankful for these to exist. It, obviously when the betas solidify and you have the production version of this going out with iOS 13 to, to dig in and really sort of learn from this, sure. uh, the, the, the re-rendelic crew is, is certainly one that I've uh, respected for a long time. So looking forward to this. Yeah. So like I said, the floodgates are opening on, on combined res- resources um, from outside of uh, Apple, per se. And uh, yeah, so it's going to, I think, definitely the, the big thing of uh, this year's WWDC uh, in terms of technologies and, and things that we could use, um, obviously available. I mean, I went to one of the talks on, on I think it was com- called Combine in Practice, and it was, you know, they talked about the, the various ways you could use Combine in, in your programs. And of course, it's it's sort of super easy to use inside of uh, Swift UI projects, but it, you are able to use it outside of Swift UI as well. So um, it's basically Apple's reactive uh, data structure handle, handling thing, right? Is that not correct? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I had started to see that there are conferences that already have Swift UI and combined material. Mm-hmm. I know that iOS Dev UK, there's going to be a little bit of stuff. Not for me, just to be clear. Not for me. Um, so I'm interested in attending that. I'm going to assume that there was stuff at Swift TO that included this kind of material. Is that, is that accurate? Um, yeah, there were a few talks on combined Combine and Swift UI. Yeah, there were a couple. I mean, I I had a couple of tips in there that I think I've talked about on the show before on on uh, getting started with uh, with Swift UI, whether you're using um, whether you're using uh, Catalyst or you're just using uh, um, playgrounds in in the Mojave with Xcode 11 uh, beta. But um, yeah, there was a couple of talks on on uh, on getting started with uh, with um, yeah. Surprisingly, Paul Hudson's talk wasn't didn't cover. He covered a little bit of Swift, but he he talked about Swift Evolution, which was an amazing talk. It was like sort of the one on one and or the the early, you know, he starts off almost like a Jurassic period of uh, of uh, Swift talking about the various things we went through to get to from where we are today, from where we came from in 2014. So, but yeah, I think the second talk, the one that came right after mine was was on. Oh no, actually, yeah, that was on um, modularization by um, Abby. Abby, help me out here. Abby Jackson from Vancouver. She did a talk on modularization, and the, th- the third talk after mine was on uh, was on combine and Swift UI. Yeah, so that's uh, cool. Just if you want to start getting your head wrapped around and hear some more resources for you while you wait for the Ray Winter Lickbook to be released. Thoughts, comments? I I don't even know where to start because, again, I haven't really gone to this stuff. I would uh, say to people who are listening out there, um, I wouldn't be too afraid of like, oh, no, I'm missing the boat. Like, there's still a lot that people are learning on this. I'm seeing a lot of uh, newer stuff coming out on the Internet, a lot of a lot of disagreements on Twitter, which remind me a lot of the uh, disagreements back in 2014 when Swift first came out. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, we're still going to feel this out as an industry and, and really sort of learn some of the, the best practices over the 
the next coming years. So I'm yeah. excited for it. I definitely want to get, you know, get my teeth into this a little bit more. Yeah. And I'm really glad to see that there are uh, paid for resources like the Ray Rendelick thing we mentioned yeah. and also free resources. Uh, kind of see a different opinion on that. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bit of shade thrown at, at the whole, you know, new stuff from Apple. I think that happens every, every time something new comes out, you get like some people who are like, cautious, you know, cautious about it. Some people are sort of sitting back and waiting for, for those of us who are brave enough to jump in and, and work the, the kinks out. Right. And of course we've already had a couple of, uh, switch changes, uh, between the various betas, right. In terms of how things work. Uh, I mean, the last beta five, I think was, a, there was a bit of change in, in some of the combined stuff, um, for the better, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, there was a bit of, a bit of shade thrown at as to whether this would be ready for September or not when, when, uh, when the new phone and, you know, iOS 13 all sort of hit the streets as, as live products, right. So gold mastered products, right. Yeah. I, I think the answer will depend, right. Like I think if you have a large established code base, I'm not seeing a ton of reason why yeah. you would necessarily want to have, you know, a Swift UI enabled app on day one. Like you're not, you're not going to get that much out of it in your situation. Yeah. But if you're, you know, a hobbyist, I think you absolutely should try it out. I mean, be aware that it's the bleeding edge. So you're going to bleed quite a bit, Yeah. Um, but you'll, you'll have something there. And I think some folks are quite right that if, if you have stability as a concern, um, you're probably going to want to wait at least a year for the tooling to get a lot better for some of this API threshing about to slow down a bit. Yeah. Um, and I will s- fully expect that there will be some uh, larger company that has you know a bazillion engineers who can like, we rewrote our entire app in yeah. Swift UI, right? Like remember when Lyft was like, oh yeah, we rewrote our entire app. How'd you get time to do that? Oh, we had these like three developers and that's what they did while the rest wow. of the team continued to do production code, right? It's, yeah, yeah. I don't think it'll be small shops. I think it'll be larger companies and hobbyists that will sort of do this. That's the in-between folks, I think, that will, will suffer the most from trying to adopt this on day one. There's a kind of funny talk from Frank Corville. He he was one of the last speakers to go up and uh, his was the super slow transition to Swift UI from UI kit to Swift UI, right? Um, I believe Veronica Ray did a talk on on, uh, on switching from UI kit as well. But yeah, his his talk was, he had a, his icon was a snail. He's talking about how, you know, uh, you, you're going to basically take your time to move your, your app over from, from one to the other, you know, starting with, you know, the lowest, the, the, the first place you would start is the lowest, you know, or the last, you know, uh, view you have available in your app and you'd start using that one as convert that one to Swift UI and then work your way back up into your app, right? So sort of what we did with, with switching from Objective-C to Swift, right? A number of companies did that where they would start off some, some really sort of un, you know, really super safe area that's not really going to affect the entire, like they wouldn't do the network stack, for instance, you know, they would do that sort of at the end, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, you build strategies on how you do it, but it's it's going to take some of us, you know, a number of years to sort of get to the point where we're... There are plenty of companies uh, that are still doing Objective-C. Oh, plenty. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were talking about that too. Like, and it's 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 getting to the point where now where people are people are able to decide whether they would even accept an interview with a place that just does Objective-C, right? So, uh, yeah, there's some, some major, major companies that still do Objective-C, right? Yep. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the banks, uh, one of the Canadian banks here did a talk on on their transition. They've they've rewritten their, their banking app in Swift and they talked about the benefits of it. Of course, you know, because they're working in one language, uh, they're able to get their build times right down to like, you know, mere minutes as opposed 
opposed to, you know, tens of minutes as, as the rest of us are suffering through, right? Because we're supporting both languages, right? Um, and, uh, you know, other things that they've, they're starting to adopt some of the newer sort of ideas from Apple in terms of accessibility and, and that kind of stuff, right? Because they started from, started with a build, a, a rewrite build sort of thing. But that, I'm sure that took quite a bit of effort too and, and risk, right? Like it also, the, the person putting the money on the table has to, has to buy into the risk of, of this stuff. Because I mean, some of these things, some of the Swift transitions started before, you know, like, like Lyft, as Jaime was saying, was like right from the, the get-go, right? That was a bit of a, a bit of a risk to take, right? Because where, yeah. like, imagine if you wrote your app, your app in OpenDoc, where would you be today, right? <laughs> You'd be out of a job <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you made that decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and pretty quickly too, right? So yeah. the thing was yeah. only around for a couple of years, if that long, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. Uh, so, hey, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? I'm on Twitter as at dev with a hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. Right. Once again, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out details on how to help us out on the website, mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Spell your name with two T's? M I T T I M M I T R A. Yeah, two T's. <laughs> no, well, but I thought you I, I thought you said M I T T R A. No, this time. No, I was gonna say I would think you'd know how to spell your own name. Sometimes I say L M N O P a couple of twice because it it's a, it works better when I sing the song. You know, yeah. you know, A B C D F G H I J K L M N O P L M N O P Q R S T. You know, uh, <laughs> better phrasing. Yeah. yeah, that whole call and response thing. Mm-hmm. I guess it kind of fits that way in my in my uh, my verbiage. Mm-hmm. So since you asked the uh, the talks will be taped and they'll be <laughs> they'll be out in a couple of weeks uh they tell us did so. we ask no oh. <laughs> <laughs> i just assumed that they probably were because a lot of it, it's gotten so cheap to do that most conferences tend to do it yeah yeah um the time frame is of the videos being released is the most varied thing i've seen some have them practically the same day or at least like a day or two after the conference ends and yeah. some just take months it's like, oh, here's the 2019 edition. Now we've finally done the videos from 2018. Yeah. I mean, there was a, there was a bit of, uh, it was amazing. Like the conference was really, really inexpensive ticket uh, for one thing because um, the sponsors kicked in a, a lot. Um, Talus, who is one of our phone providers up here, um, has this amazing space that they, they uh, let the guys use for the conference. You know, and it was it was like, you know, it wasn't a, it, it, you know, you can imagine how bad a conference could have been if, if things didn't, you know, mesh right. And yeah, they had all the sort of details sort of, covered off i was really impressed the great great uh, you know good good for 
1.0 uh, 1.0 thing. And as I might have predicted, they were sold out. You know, for this conference because I, I think that I, I had this in my talk, but there's a couple of things. I had a couple of technical issues, so I kind of had to skip through some of my uh, my things. But you know, I think that, that Toronto's overdue for having a conference, and um, so I'm not surprised that that uh, they had that much interest in it, right? Yeah. So what else is going on? Uh, putting together my presentation for mm-hmm. iOS Dev UK, mm-hmm. which is coming up in uh, about three weeks here. Is it more of that IBM stuff or the? No, no. This machine? one is. Um, this one's all about collaboration. Mm. Designers plus developers equals best friends forever. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am the final talk of the conference. Oh. But there is a post-conference workshop on uh, server-side Swift by Tim Condon. So kind of hoping people stick around for that <laughs> and therefore <laughs> have nothing else to do but sit, you know, and, and drink their tea or coffee or something. And, right, and right. Listen to me babble for a bit. Oh, it's on the same day? Uh, yeah. Or- so there's, there's pre-conference workshops and then... And, you know, like on the first, you know, quarter day, mm-hmm. and then Tuesday and Wednesday are full days. Thursday is uh, like a half day. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I end I don't know, like 1230. Yep. And then there's a half hour break, it looks like. And then from one to three is a post-conference workshop on server-side Swift. Yeah. Yeah. You get the, the conflicting uh, forces of you're just before lunch. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and people, some people are going to be getting out of town, but conflicting with the people are sticking around for the rest of the conference so hopefully hopefully it'll be good yeah i end up having to make the choice of sticking around for the final post-conference workshop and taking like five ish p.m train from Aberystwyth back to london or skipping out immediately after my my talk and taking the 130 ish train i think back to Aberystwyth uh, for from Aberystwyth to london so I'll, I'll see how it goes. Um, flight flight is the next morning, so I was oh, planning oh, to. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to go into into London for a couple of days, go see stuff, take the train on the second from London to Aberystwyth, just like a four and a half, almost five hour train. Uh, two trains, it's like one in Birmingham, two Birmingham, and then Birmingham to Aberystwyth, and then you know hang out conference, come back the opposite direction, hang out in London for like one final night, and then early ish, but not not crazy early in the morning fly out from London Heathrow. Yeah, yeah, turn uh, turn it into a little bit of a trip here. Get those figured out. I was trying to figure out, like, sort of the, you know, what things do I want to go do for a couple days and what will be sort of cost-effective to be near those those locations. And then trying to figure out who I know in London so I can go hang out with folks. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in London, there's lots of people in London. Maybe you don't know them. <laughs> I'm not sure how to... <laughs> how no, serious I'm just, that I'm just, yeah, there's probably, what, like 10 million people in London, something like that? No, I just meant like... Actually, that. I don't know if it's that big. Like some of the Wendy's you may not know, right? So you have probably seen them on Twitter and things, but we're you know chat, chatting and stuff like that. But should yeah, be good. Yeah. yeah. All I know Otherwise, is I'll just be doing you know the most touristy things possible. I'm sure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess we can call it a day because I know you guys probably got to go off and do your your things, your relaxing, your relaxing things that you do after you do this show, whatever it is you do. <laughs> Throw on television like uh, America's Got Talent in the background and oh, is that what you do? Sweep the interwebs for future articles for future podcast content that's true yeah yeah i thought we all do that on the on the, the, the afternoon before the show kind of thing <laughs> i mean that's it's so weird because like uh thursday is an okay day for new stuff to come out yeah. sometimes i'll, I'll find Crazy. some stuff yeah. friday saturday sunday below for new content monday and especially to tuesdays when all the like release stuff comes out yeah so yeah. tuesday is very rapidly the day that stuff came out and if i didn't get to it that day right. it means that like monday or wednesday afternoon it's like oh crap gonna throw in some article links 
we have something to talk about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I find stuff so on during the week, but yeah. yeah. I just posted a link. I, I find I stuff that, yeah. by the time I get there. It's You guys have already put it up there, so I don't even bother. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You're faster than I am. Good to know. Well, well, that's nice. You know, as I posted this thing, I, I had a thought. I wonder if, if Greg is like watching the, the, uh, the Slack, the Slack, just to get like hints of what, what we're going to be talking about mm. in the show. No, I don't think oh, so. Oh, I, I have a good <laughs> feeling he does. I throw I does. stuff yeah. into yeah. Slack and I throw stuff. Uh, onto Twitter to tease him. It's this game yeah. of cat and mouse with him of like, yeah. Yeah. like somebody had, had posted about like, oh, I wish the photos app did this thing. Yeah, yeah, I, like, saw that. I sure mm. wish that I knew someone at Apple who could yeah. have a, you could implement this over a blue bottle fueled binge over the weekend. And, and he, he did the like, he didn't respond, yeah, yeah. but he did the mm-hmm. like, right? So he, he knows that I know that he knows sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I knew that too. That's, that's pretty well pointed that one yeah. yeah sometimes they're more obvious than others yeah. it depends on on how much fun i want to have with the the cat and mouse game yeah yeah it's like cold war style ussr versus usa kind of thing well like <laughs> i said he, he is kind of famous like there were a few people like people mentioned him and they quote him in in our ta- in their talks without realizing that greg actually was a founding member of the ns coders uh meetup group which is what put on this pod or the um the conference right mm. but like paul hudson quoted him and a bunch of other people quoted him in in their talk you know so i feel kind of bad that i didn't quote him now <laughs> poor guy he's so underappreciated and the 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 extra yeah he's he's pretty gregarious you know yeah no pun intended yeah, yeah i was like i see what you did there oh, yeah, definitely <laughs> yeah. that was definitely that was definitely uh, intended yeah but i i uh I also make use of the like asymmetric warfare nature of where I can push things much further than he can. Yeah, I can make funny ass statements, especially in public. That I, I'm like, I know he is shaking his fist somewhere yeah. on the Caltrain <laughs> or, or he's taking the bus or something. <laughs> like, yes, he can't do anything about this one. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> All right. Yeah, he's got a long commute. He sure does. Does he? Yes. Oh, because it goes long. from California down to, or sorry, from San Francisco down to. Uh, Cupertino every day. To Cupertino, yeah. I spoke and to another. I spoke to another guy. At, uh, I was speaking to a guy the other day. Uh, who's on the mapping team at Apple. Who's at the conference mm-hmm. yesterday? He was telling me that they were. He was. He works for a company in Toronto. He works for mm-hmm. a company that Apple acquired back in 2009 to do the mapping. Mm-hmm. And because they had built a Google mapping clone, right? It was called Place. Mm-hmm. Was it called Place something? Or something. Something with the word Place in it. Um, yeah. Because I asked yeah. him what it was. All right, maybe I wrote it down. Yeah. So yeah. So he takes the Caltrain down, and the the Caltrain stop isn't really particularly close to the office. So he picks up a shuttle bus at Caltrain and takes that to the office, hmm. which is kind of a big pain. I don't know why he doesn't just take the Apple bus all the way down. Do they have such a thing? They do, yeah. Maybe it's, hmm. the, maybe it's the amount of time it takes to get down there. Yeah. And is it free for know. employees too? That's the other thing too, right? Is which free? Is it traveling the, free? Those... Not Caltrain. No, uh, I mean... I mean if, the, if he takes their shuttle bus, like yeah, I would think one. so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Why wouldn't you do that then? That's crazy. Yeah. We've actually got a shuttle bus up to, to and from our San Francisco office, mm-hmm. um, but but it's kind of useless. It only goes, it goes once in the morning and then once in the evening, each direction. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So purely useless. commuting. Does it pass by yeah. your house by any chance? <laughs> no. No. It, it goes directly to the front door of the office. So I'd have to go to the office and then get on the bus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. But I mean, I didn't even need to go up. But then you'll have all this time to find links, granted, on the crappiest day of the week to do it. Um, But you'll have all this time to be like, yes, I'm going to beat these guys into this particular link. Hmm. Now how much would you pay? Yeah. (laughs) Luckily, it's free. (laughs) 